0: it's important for performance marketers to kind of look to the horizon at what's coming and how to anticipate potential changes. I do know common buzzwords now and important ones are incrementality and attribution.
1: Hey everyone, and thanks for listening to the One-to-One Consumer Marketing Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Kyle Weber, who's Director of Performance Marketing at Parachute Home, which makes premium quality home essentials. Kyle, thanks so much for joining the podcast and chatting with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our chat. Uh, you know, Before we dive into to everything, why don't you uh, give everyone on the podcast a little background on who you are, and kind of what you do, and how you got into your current role at Parachute Home. Yeah, I mean, I've been in performance for over 10 years now.
0: I actually started building websites, and that's when I kind of realized the power of organic, really, or SEO. So from there, I jumped into an agency. I managed our enterprise accounts, mostly doing just that, SEO. And then I ended up helping start and run a boutique agency in Silicon Valley, a lot of like Fortune 500 clients, tech, you know, Valley clients, again, focusing on, on SEO and some paid search, and then went in house to a Y Combinator company from there, ran marketing at another company in the Bay Area, then jumped into consulting and then back to Uh, in-house at Parachute, where I've been the last two years, but I've always kind of been in growth and performance specifically.
1: Yeah, thanks for the overview. I think you have something that many marketers have, which is kind of that back and forth from agency to in-house. I guess you've seen both sides of the coin. I'm curious, you know, what got you excited to go like more into performance? You have a background in SEO. Obviously, there's a big performance element to that, but I think, you know, you've focused a lot. I'm sure you have many channels at Parachute Home. Can you Tell me a little bit why you made that shift. Yeah, I mean, I think I just didn't want to limit myself too
0: much. And I was acutely aware of like power of paid, right? And it's also, Mm -hmm. it's an easier lever to pull, right? SEO is, you know, planting seeds that take time and paid is quite the opposite, right? You could, you put money in, you get money out, you know, that day. And I just really wanted to be able to help any company grow. And I, I feel like you need to be able to understand performance as well in order to do that, right? SEO is just one part of growth. And Mm -hmm. so just kind of wanted to widen my horizons. And I definitely think, you know, paid is necessary if you want to be a strong growth performance marketer.
1: Yeah, I guess a natural step out of uh, one of the domains into the broader category as in your evolution as a marketer. You know, how would you summarize the current state of digital marketing today?
0: I would say the current state is as it's always been, at least as, as long as I've been in it, where it's just it's always changing. More specifically, there's always things like taken away from us, right? <laughs> there's like new opportunities and and then they're taken away. You know, if you go back over 10 years ago, focusing just on, on SEO, you know, you could keyword stuff and buy links and, you know, get a website to rank in three days, right? Naturally and then rightfully that changed, right? And then there was like the Wild West days of Facebook, right? Where you can probably build a business in a week and have it grow, right? And then, you know, then slowly we started losing like our tracking and optimization capabilities post iOS 14, right? So there's new opportunities, but at the same rate, things are taken away. And I feel like that's kind of the environment that we're in right now and we will probably continue to be in. And that's why it's important for performance marketers to kind of look to the horizon at what's coming and how to anticipate potential changes. I do know the common buzzwords now and important ones are incrementality and attribution. And Parachute looks at those as two separate paths to get to the same answer. We tend to focus more on incrementality. And I, I briefly shared a story with you that I wouldn't mind repeating because I think it provides good context around what incrementality is and how to simplify it, right? At least the understanding of it. So this is a story I heard a while ago, and it was about a pizza place. And the owner decided to hire three sales reps to, to pass out coupons, right? They gave one rep green coupons, one rep red, one rep blue, right? At the end of the month, just so they could see who's driving you know, more sales, and it was you know, like 20% off their next order, or something like that. At the end of the month, the owner had a stack of coupons, and you know, 85 to 90% of them were green, right? And she's like, this is great, look at all the business this is driving, right? And then her account came up to her, and, she didn't, and he said, yeah, that's great, but our sales are down 10% this month. And she was thinking like, oh, how can that be, right? So she decided to follow these sales reps who were handing out these coupons. And the employee that was handing out the red coupons was across town and in front of a mall, you know, handing out to people leaving the mall. The one handing out the blue coupons was six blocks away in front of another competitor, another pizza joint, right? And then much to her surprise the rep handing out the green coupons was like right around the corner and basically handing these coupons to people already walking into the pizza place, right? So it wasn't driving new, new sales. It was cannibalizing their sales, really. So a lot of what we do at Parachute is we try to identify what channels are those like green, red, and blue channels, right? And not only that, we try to quantify that. So if we identify one channel as green, how much of that is that as incremental? How many of these people are going to walk into our pizza place anyway, Right. And we use that and that allows us to kind of compare across channels. I know a lot of marketers, performance marketers in particular, have been in situations where they might be reporting to the exec team and the exec team might say, hey, brand search, this has like a 25 ROAS, let's scale this, this is the best channel, right? And it's, you can mention incrementality, but it's tough to quantify. So that's kind of what we do. How we get there is we run a lot of lift tests. There's different lift tests you can run. You could run scale tests or PSA tests. We tend to prioritize like geo holdouts. And then I'll give you an example of how that works and how that allows us to compare across channels. But let's say we have paid search, brand paid search. And let's say it's a 25 ROAS, right? We might do a lift test and find that 90% of those people are going to convert anyway, right? So it's only 10% incremental. So we take that 10% apply it to the 25 that Google's reporting, and we call it a 2.5. And then we can look at Facebook. Maybe Facebook is a four ROAS, but it's 70% incremental, which we've determined through a lift test. That's a 2.8, right? Which is actually better than the branded search of a 2.5, right? So that's an oversimplified version of how we look at it, but that's why we look at incrementality because it allows us to compare across those channels and determine like, what's really moving the needle
1: yeah thank you for that story i think analogies are always powerful to get sometimes things that are hard to explain across and so for anyone here that was listening that doesn't know about incrementality i think that's an easy into it and i mean you you touched on something that is so key for so many brands in the digital space right you have such a huge mix of channels available to you and yeah. it's very easy for platforms to also over report return to yeah. kind of you're not seeing the whole picture. And so, I mean, I know there's a lot of tools out there that help with this situation. But at the same time, I think taking incrementality as kind of the core of your program and how you're evaluating things is obviously key to understand, like you said before, not cannibalizing where your your customers are most likely to convert anyway and probably prioritizing your spend and your attention into channels that can really drive more incremental revenue, which is better for the company as a whole. Yeah. Thank you for those examples. I think you mentioned a few like types of incrementality in terms of like, and you, you say that you choose uh, geo holdouts as your approach. Can you explain a little bit why you chose that one as your approach versus PSA or some of the other ones that you've mentioned? Yeah, yeah, good question.
0: So PSA tests, we do run it at times, but there's costs associated with that for one. You know, let's say you're running like streaming or online video, right? Instead of like holding out certain... DMAs, what you can do is you can run an ad that's not advertising your business. And then you show those to the same audience and you see how they convert, right? It's just a way you're basically paying for tracking in that sense. So that's how the, like a PSA is structured, right? A scale test is kind of similar to a geo, but you have to spend a lot, right? In order to like, kind of move that needle and notice any change to baseline. The only real cost associated with the geo holdout is that opportunity cost of not running media in those DMAs. So it's not as much of an inherent cost as there would be with like a PSA or scale test where you have to spend more. This is just holding out certain areas, right? And there is obviously that opportunity cost of doing that, but we just find that the most effective way to run a lift test. But we'll do a mix too. And sometimes we'll run a PSA and a geo holdout to see if our PSA is like lining up with the results from a geo holdout and then maybe we can run that later on. That's also something easier to always have on because geo tests, we only run in like six week sprints. So yeah, we tend to do all three, but we prefer geo holdouts. But I would
1: suggest if you're doing any of
0: it, that's great.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good enough reason to do anything, right? There's not not an immediate cost, and there isn't a lot of uh, scale required to do a geo holdout. It's probably why it's the most common. And like you said, opportunity cost is a part of it. But there's probably so many places you could be spending your money that that opportunity cost will get recouped relatively quickly. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, somewhere <laughs> else. I mean, you mentioned incrementality as your main measure. You walked through an example of how you kind of apply the return that you're getting from like that a channel is reporting with like the lift that you're seeing and then create almost like a, a coefficient. Can you explain that a little more? Like how do you use that coefficient to make decisions and kind of like how does that guide your whole strategy? Yeah.
0: So what guides our whole strategy is, is what we call iROAS. So I'm sure most listeners are familiar with ROAS, right? right? Like your return on ad spend. iROAS is just your incremental ROAS. And yeah, I'll provide an example. So going back to that paid search example, let's say we run a lift test on branded search and it's only 10% incremental, right? Meaning only 10% of those people actually would have bought without that campaign or that ad. So that's the coefficient we use. And we use that coefficient and we apply that to the platform ROAS. So, again, if Google is claiming a 25 ROAS, we're only going to count 10% of that because only 10% we determine to be incremental. We then end up with a 2.5 I ROAS, right? And then we compare those I ROAS across all channels to figure out where we should spend more, where, where we should spend less, right? Because if you just look at platform, it's not going to be that telling, right? Because the incrementality changes so much across different platforms. But that being said, we also do look at attribution, right? Almost as a gut check. So we'll look at attribution. We'll look at like post checkout surveys and we'll make sure that it kind of aligns with the learnings that we're seeing with the incrementality. So I, I think it's important to do that too. And we also kind of change those incrementalities almost on a weekly cadence, So if one platform has an increase in click through rather than view through conversions, for example, we might scale up or scale back that incrementality estimate. Because once you have a learning, once you have like an incrementality learning from a lift test, that's static, right? Like it's not, you have no idea. I mean, platforms change, seasonality changes, all these things change. And so you kind of have to do your best to estimate how your incrementality is changing, you know, throughout the seasons, right? And so much can change. Like Facebook can start going after less incremental users or platforms can start taking more credit, right? Or there's seasonality changes to your business or you're launching a sale. So a lot of the work we do is trying to like fill those gaps in between lift tests to see how the
1: incrementality changes. Yeah, thank you for that explanation. And so I'm assuming that, you know, you have that IROs, you have this measure of efficiency, which I know you say is obviously in flux, it's never a static measure but yeah. obviously the different channels that you're also operating on have different scales and different kind of ability to push money through in order to scale that channel right like brand you made the example with branded search that's obviously something you can't really just scale branded search in the same way you can scale a facebook campaign so can you walk through a little bit how that factors in your decision making like is scale a part of it in terms like once you have the iros how do you make the decision in terms of spend and when, you know, do you think about the ceilings there and how do you kind of make your your perfect mix?
0: Yeah, that's a super relevant question and that's a problem we're trying to solve for right now and it really ties into marginal ROAS expectations, right? Because you could scale and as you scale, you shouldn't expect the exact same performance, right? And some platforms like Google actually provide sort of, you know, marginal ROAS assumptions based on different increments of spend, but In-house, we basically work out marginal ROAS calculations per channel, and it's just based on what we've spent in the past, but we're currently looking to kind of onboard maybe some new partners that will help kind of solve that problem because, I mean, that's a big unknown, right? Because just because you're getting a four ROAS on Facebook right now, if you triple your spend, you're likely not going to get that, right? But how do you calculate that? There's a couple ways. You can look at almost like an MMM model and your previous performance to see how ROAS changes with spend, you can do those calculations yourself. You can onboard you know, some of these partners like Rockerbox or Levin or Recast right, to help supplement that. But yeah, that's something
1: that's always top of mind. It's quite challenging too, because it's you're diving into the unknown. Yeah. I feel like that's what a lot of digital marketers feel like. There's so many tools at our disposal. There's the ability to track so much, but then so much also gets taken away. I mean, at the very start of this, you mentioned iOS 14, some of the changes that you've seen there in terms of tracking and attribution, can you walk through how that's impacted uh, your approach to incrementality? Is that kind of what has defined it to a large extent? Or kind of how is it affecting your mix and your decision making? It definitely made it more important,
0: I would say, specifically for the channels most impacted like Facebook. And I think one reason why is because Facebook in particular kept changing, right? Like they started taking credit for less and then more conversions, right? And so your performance might've been the same, but your platform performance might've been doing this, right? So how do you trust that? So that was definitely a catalyst for us to not only start testing in Facebook, but testing as quickly as possible and as often as possible. So we would do that with a geo test. We would do that with Facebook's version of testing. But yeah, I mean, what you described is, just a reason why testing is so important, you know, and a reason why you have to look at incrementality, and you have to look at attribution and
1: anything else you can get your hands on, whether it's MMM or, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. So maybe taking a slightly different tacky, thanks for walking us through uh, incrementality and how you're using it at Parachute. Yeah. What about your team structure? You know, like you mentioned different channels, how do you structure your team in order to kind of operate all these levers and kind of fine tune your channel mix using incrementality as your measure? Yeah, we're pretty lean
0: right now, the performance team. So it's comprised of agency and media buyers. We do have quite a bit of agency support on the affiliate side, on paid search. And I will say we're fortunate to have like a really strong affiliate portfolio. Probably 85% of it is driven by content partners, which is like your New York Times you know, good housekeeping of the world. And mm-hmm. only like 10, 15% is our, our loyalty partners, like your Rakuten's, your, your less incremental, uh, you know, affiliate partners of the world. So we have an agency who helps drive that. A lot of it's almost like the PR side of agency, like building new relationships. And then we manage, you know, Facebook in-house, we manage audio in-house, direct mail, another fairly big channel for us. And then we have a lifecycle team, comprised of, I think there's only three people in the Lifecycle team now. And then there's a separate brand team who manages organic, organic social influencers and brand ambassadors. And they do a really good job with content and blog in particular. Our organic traffic is up 50% year-over-year, largely driven by blog content. And also on the brand team, we have, that's where PR sits. PR does an exceptional job. We have probably, I would say on the daily new write-ups. And we can also leverage a lot of those relationships on the affiliate side. So it's probably a strong reason why our affiliate, specifically our content affiliates are so strong. But yeah, I mean, the larger marketing umbrella is comprised of brand lifecycle and performance, but we're fairly
1: lean at this point. Yeah, thanks for the overview. And you know, you mentioned brand lifecycle uh, and performance. How do you see those acting together, right? Because I think you know, brand obviously plays a huge role in contributing to performance. Performance contributes to brand. Like Lifecycle and like, you know, increasing customer lifetime value is such an important part of, you know, making the business efficient. Can you walk through a little bit how you work with those teams? Yeah. Starting with Lifecycle, we work fairly closely. Forecasting is really important to
0: us. And Lifecycle does a really good job forecasting, you know, LTV and repeat rates of, you know, our different cohorts, right? And they do a really good job at that. And sometimes if certain ones are struggling, that's where performance can kind of pick up the slack and maybe target cohorts that are, you know, not meeting forecasts. Lifecycle is also a really good arena to test creatives that we can later leverage in performance. So I, I would say those two things we work closely with, with with Lifecycle. Brand, I feel like Parachute's pretty unique. At least, I think we're pretty unique, but we have just a really strong brand. Therefore, we have, a, we have a large brand team that kind of, the brand is definitely their baby, right? I think we lean with that. We're not too, like, direct response focused, right? That does create... Challenges, right on the performance side, because we're basically leveraging creatives that the brand team creates, and we want to make sure that we're not dirtying the brand by acting too much in a direct response way. And we also don't run—we run two sales a year. That's it. So we don't discount or offer promos, right? Not necessarily the performance team's idea, but uh, <laughs> it's worked for us so far. And I think there's a lot of just brand trust and integrity. And I think that's been developed by the brand team because they pay such close attention to it and they care so much about it. I think we started definitely brand first, right? And you can notice that in our loyalty, in our community, and just the integrity behind our brand.
1: Yeah, I think that's a a story that kind of many D2C startups have taken to of of being really brand focused first because also you operate in such a competitive market where like brand and differentiation is going to be so key to actually win more market share. So yeah. I, can, I can see why that was the approach that was taken. I mean, you mentioned life cycle and kind of forecasting that they have like really good understanding of LTV and uh, repeat purchase rate, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm assuming then as you work with them, they're the ones that are providing essentially the number, like what you can spend to acquire a customer. What's that conversation like? You know, not necessarily. Potentially if we are, let's say, targeting
0: a certain cohort or marketing a particular product where we know the repeat rate, or we know like the AOV or LTB for that product. But more often than not, we're operating, I guess depending on the climate, we're operating on more on like a breakeven IROAS, right? So we take into account like average product margins and repeat rates and return rates to figure out what IROAS we can achieve on the aggregate where we're not losing money right away. And we try to hit sort of first order break even. But as soon as we extend that, and as soon as we get like a little more aggressive, you know, if we want to potentially spend a little bit more, be a little more like liberal in those targets, then we might look to life cycle to provide, you know, what does a six month or one year repeat rate? How does that affect our break even ROAs? So it, it just depends. Generally, we're not really working with them in regards to like paid targets, unless mm-hmm. we're doing very specific campaigns like around certain products where we know have a certain repeat rate. Or we're targeting a certain cohort and
1: we know the value of them. Yeah, that's great though. I love that it's in its simplicity in the sense that, you know, hey, we need to break even on first order. So we're going to look at blended IRO as, yeah. you know, however you do that. And there's this simplicity in that that is powerful because it gives you like less dependency on other teams, less kind of uh, yeah. back and forth. But then it just allows you to run and have a very clear goal, uh, which I think is very important. You know, Yeah, I mean, it's more challenging first yeah. break even. But you don't need to, you know, I guess, equate payback periods. As, you know. Yeah, that's not to say your job's easy. It's, uh, I'm sure <laughs> it's hard to hit those targets. <laughs> um, but in terms of, you know, that simplicity of a goal, I think it makes it, you know, where you're trying to head, uh, which yeah. is, is valuable. And, you know, speaking of knowing where you want to head, what are some of the most important things that you've learned over the course of your career that have helped you advance as a marketer? Or maybe some things that you wish you knew at the start of your career that you know now?
0: I would say just not to take things at face value. On the agency side or whether I've been in-house, you know, I've heard, and I'm, I'm sure this might sound familiar, but I've heard like, oh, this channel doesn't work for us yet. Or this channel doesn't work for us, right? I don't find that to be the case more often than not. It's, it doesn't work for us yet, you know? A good example of that would be I was, I was consulting for a company and they brought me in to run, just paid social. I had never been solely dedicated to that channel. And before me, they had two people in that position who were just paid social specialists, right? And I just took the first probably month just diving deep into the data, into the targeting, into the creative. And we turned that around to be the most profitable channel, right? And when I got to Parachute, there were certain channels that I thought were gonna do really well because they did really well at previous companies I was at. And they didn't right off the bat. It took a long time to optimize and and to be profitable, right? So I guess I would say not taking things at face value and like always understanding that there's a potential unlock there.
1: Yeah, and it Uh, sounds like part of what you're saying is also, you know, every business will also be unique, right? You can't just apply the same playbooks across channels and expect everything to work. Like you need to fully understand that business and its customers. I think that's a great, yeah that and at the same time, not not just throwing the baby out with the bathwater and like looking at yeah. a channel and being like, hey, I can still make this work. Uh, that's definitely some great advice. I mean, looking forward, you know, five years from now, what does the future of consumer marketing look like to you? Yeah, that's a good and tough question.
0: I think that there'll definitely be more like blurred lines between, you know, influencer, like brand ambassadors and creative development. I was reading just last week, I feel like there's some companies that are hiring like influencers and brand ambassadors to run their creative departments, right? But for us, we've noticed kind of like whitelisting and, you know, like third-party reviews, that sort of thing that just takes off and does really well, right? Because customers don't want to just hear from you they want to hear from others. And so I don't see that changing. And I think that's going to feed into just the relationships that companies have with like brand ambassadors and influencers be that much more important to scale and also to learn from. In addition to that, I think, you know, AI being another buzzword, I think a lot of things that maybe that we're working on right now might be more automated, whether that's like MMM or incrementality or forecasting, right? Forecasting is another difficult one. I think AI might be able to help substantially with that. And that's just going to kind of free up the time for marketers to work more on like, again, like storytelling, right? And personalization, so it's almost kind of reverting back to how marketing was a long time ago, right?
1: But yeah, we'll see. One thing I know is is to expect the unexpected. Yeah, I love that. That with the pace of change and new technologies, like AI, like changing so much of what we do, we like to think it's completely overhauling everything and digital marketing changes all the time. But I agree with you. All that means is... What's going to matter is the story, right? What doesn't yeah. change is is human nature and why we buy, why we know like and trust brands, and why we choose to go there over other places. And so I think you're right; the story will always be paramount. And I think you know there's a lot of people saying you yeah. know that AI can write stories, but AI can't write unique and new stories. It just kind of spits out whatever what everyone has already said. So it right. will definitely be a place for marketers to tell good stories in the future. Kyle, thanks so much for coming on today. It's been really interesting hearing about incrementality, how you're using it as your main measure of channel efficiency, like how that's guiding your decision-making. Before we wrap up, if people want to follow you and your journey and kind of hear more about what you're doing, uh, where should they go?
0: Yeah, they, they can just follow me on LinkedIn, Kyle Weber. I'm not too active, even though I manage a lot of uh, social media, I'm not too personally active on there other than, other than LinkedIn, so they can follow me on there.
1: Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. And you know, if people want to find out more about what we do at Spectrum, check us out on LinkedIn as well, uh, spectrum.io to learn more about conversational marketing on messaging channels. And thanks for listening today. Uh, Kyle, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me.